Colossians 3, Colossians 3, verse 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Father, in Jesus' name, please help us today to learn from your word. Grow us, Lord God. Um, Strengthen us. Broaden our understanding of you and of your word. Lord God, let Christ be magnified and exalted in our hearts and our minds and in this Bible class today. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ is all and in all. Such a such a phrase could be the entire message today, and it could take up all of our time for the rest of our time for every class, and we could never exhaust the riches of who Christ is. The one thing that we would exhaust is our own minuscule intellect, and then we would get bored with the subject, which is a travesty, but it is a truth. That it is our minds, our small minds, that make the Word of God less than thrilling less than absolutely exciting. We would rather, as human beings, go and watch a silly drawing of a fat bear roll around in honey than we would go and open up a Bible and read it, and that just exposes our carnality. Now, we've been talking about the old man and the new man. Here in Colossians, um, he said there, Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And this is part of a mini-series within Colossians that we have been doing on the old man and new man. We We have the new man, we have the new revelation, we have the new birth, the new creature, the new walk. And today we're going to look at verses 11 through 17, where here is described Described by the Holy Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul, the new church of the new man. The new church of the new man. I want you to turn to Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 7. As you're going there, I'm going to read our text again. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and, <coughs> excuse me, and in all. Now, this does not mean Christ is in the tree. In the context of what the all is, it is in all of these people who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, which we will look at here. So Matthew chapter 7, and we'll be looking at verse 29. But before we read that, oh, I'm sorry, that was the wrong text. Mark 12:18 Mark 12:18 go there quickly and before we read this text um, I would like to just look at these groups that, that that have been given us here and actually you're gonna have to hold your place in mark it's going to be just a little bit before we get there um, first of all we have the Greeks and the Jews that are listed here in Colossians 3 so he says where there is neither Greek nor Jew now in the Jewish world as anybody that has studied much of the Bible has come across this fact that the Jews viewed the world as either Greek or Jew and the Jews would call the world Greek or Jew so you were either a Jew or a Greek it was them versus everybody 
and it kind of always has been and always will be. The Jews are a set-apart people. They are chosen by God, a kingdom of priests. They fell from their place. They did not fulfill the law of God. They were cut off of the of the olive tree, but they will be grafted in again according to Romans chapter 9. Right now, the Greeks are grafted in. In the Jewish world, the Greeks, which are the rest of the Gentile world. So that would make me an American a Greek. That would make a Scandinavian a Greek. That would make a Roman a Greek. That would make a Japanese man a Greek. That would make a China man a Greek. In the Jewish mind, all were Greeks or they were Jews either a Jew or a Greek. And here in our text in Colossians, he says that in the new man, the new man is neither Greek nor Jew. The new man is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is where there is neither Greek nor Jew. Now, Jesus Christ was a Jew, but the new man is made after is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, after the image of Christ, but in that renewing and the quickening of the holy work of the Holy Spirit of God, there is neither Greek nor Jew. Now, the second group he has here is circumcision or uncircumcision. Now, that's a rough one to check, but there have been wars over the topic of circumcised or not circumcised. Um, some groups circumcise, some groups do not. There are a lot of people, even Gentiles, that circumcise that believe that there are health benefits to it that have no religious reason for it. There are others that believe that it is a unhealthy thing to do. And there's actually, even today, there's a subculture war going on over circumcision, even today, even in America, where there's a whole bunch of different thoughts and, and arguments and fuss going on over circumcision versus uncircumcision. It's an amazing polarizing topic. Now then the next group that he gave us here was the barbarians and the Scythians. Now the barbarians would probably have been Germanic. The Scythians would have been, um, I'm assuming, Italian, something of that nature. And I didn't really study this out like I should have. Some of you are sitting there and you know a whole lot more about that than me and more power to you. Um, But in any case, the basic principle of this is is that you have two groups of people that hate each other. They're at each other's throats. Now, this has always been the case. The Germanic and the Italians have fought each other. The Spanish and the Italians have fought each other. The French and the Spanish have fought each other. The French and the Germans have fought each other. It's in America right now. There's a lot of polarization between black and white, and they act like this is like the greatest tragedy that ever hit the world is that white people once oppressed black people. But I've got news for you. There have been people oppressing people since there were people. People have always oppressed people, and people will always oppress people, and now we have BLM oppressing white people in the name of justice and remuneration for past offenses where the white people once once did and truly did oppress the black people. But while we're on that topic, by the way, let me just throw this to you. I'm of Irish descent. And the Irish people were are white people, often with red hair, very known for their red hair. Well, the English people sold 1 million of 1.5 million Irish into slavery over 100 years ago. And over two-thirds of the Irish population was diminished through the sale of Irishmen as slaves to none other than the islands down south of Florida. Those islands out there in the plantations, a lot of the French bought up Irish slaves. And then guess what? They would even forcibly 
uh, mingle the Irish with the blacks there to get what they thought they would come up with a super race. And so if you, if you think that skin color is the epitome of racism, you don't even know what you're talking about. People have been horrible to people from the beginning of time. White people have been bad to white people. Black people have been bla- bad to black people. Red people have been bad to red people. White people have been bad to red people. Red people have been bad to white people. Have we got the picture yet? Do we need to keep going? People have been bad to people. People oppress people. People hurt people. People enslave people. People kill people. People have been hurting people for thousands of years. The reason that God gave for overflowing the world in the flood was because the earth was overspread with violence. And and that's before that's before Noah got off the ark, which by the way, Noah was the daddy of the three men that got off the ark, they each had wives and Noah had a wife. But every person that lives today is a descendant of Noah and from thence a descendant of Adam. So whatever skin color Noah was, I've got a pretty good odds of being right if I tell you today that Noah's boys had the same color skin he did. Who thinks that's a fair guess? You think that's a fair guess? So guess what? Noah's boys got off the ark, and it wasn't very long before Noah's boys were at each other's throats. Go on down the line through the descendants, and there were wars and rumors of wars, and Jesus Christ said there still will be. So... The barbarians and Scythians. Paul is bringing in here social, economic, um, and racial tension. He's saying, first of all, there's neither Jew nor Greek. Secondly, there's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. Thirdly, there's neither barbarian nor Scythian, which means there is no geopolitical difference to fight over in the church, in the church of the new man. There is no racial tension in the church of the new man. The church of Jesus Christ, the one full of redeemed people, blood bought, born again, um, new creatures in Christ. There is no such thing as racial tension amongst them. Now, if you've got a church that's all white and if a black person walks in, you're all going to frown at them. You're not of God. And if you've got a church that's all black and a white person walks in and you all frown at them, you're not of God because in Christ there's neither barbarian nor Scythian. That's what Paul is saying here. And then he goes on. There's neither bond nor free. In Christ. Now, what's that all about? In Roman law, a free man had political rights and a bondman had no rights. So, a free man could do things that a bondman could not do, and a bondman would have to associate with bondmen, and a free man would associate with free men. Do you remember when Paul was bound with leather and they were about to whip him there in, I think, Acts 21? And he says, Is it lawful for you to be a Roman uncondemned? And they, and then the what the captain of the band say to him with a great price obtained I this freedom and Paul said but I was free born and straightway they left him that would have examined him and they were the captain feared because he had almost beaten a born a free born Roman citizen so there were different classes within the Roman world and the Roman political net um, 
economy. And so these different classes would, uh, would interact differently with each other. And Paul says here in Christ, the new man where is a place where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian or Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Jew and Greek talks about religious privilege through parentage. My daddy was a preacher, so I'm better than you. All of that junk goes out the window with the new man. Circumcision or uncircumcision talks about a physical rite of passage. I'm better than you because I've done something. I've gone to this school. I've been part of this group. I'm part of this sorority or this fraternity in a, in a seminary. I've been part of this Facebook group. So I'm part of a, a unique and special class of people because of some kind of exercise or some kind of pilgrimage that I've gone on. I've gone to Israel. You have not. Stuff like that. He says this doesn't count in Christ. The barbarian and the Scythian deals with racial and political tensions that can be had between not just color, but political boundaries as we talked about. And in Christ, there are no racial tensions. And I'm telling you, in Christ, there are no racial tensions. A born-again, blood-bought, born-again black man loves a blood-bought, born-again red man and a blood-bought, born-again white man. And all three of them can join in in prayer and they can join in perfect unity and do join in perfect unity and they don't need government programs to tell them how to get along or their need for diversity. By the way, I go to a church where we have, um, there's a black family that comes, there's Italian people that come, we've got Irish people that come and Scots people that come, we've got Russian people that come, we have some people there, we have a Jew that comes, a man who whose daddy was full-blooded Jew and his mother was a half Jew, if I remember right. So we have a Jew that comes. We've got just about everything represented. We have Mexican people that come. I mean, you name it, we've got it. And guess what? There's not a lick of racial tension. And that's not because we ignore the discussion of what's going on or current events. It's because Christ is moving in our midst and Christ is all and in all. And we really don't care. I love my brother in the Lord, Marcus. I love him. He's a different color than me. We hug, we shake hands, we smile, we talk, and it doesn't matter. It really has absolutely no effect on our relationship or our friendship whatsoever. We don't even think about it. It doesn't even come into our minds or cross the cross into our minds on a daily basis it's just he's Marcus and I'm Joshua and we love each other in the Lord and we don't care and in Christ that's how it is now the old man enjoys carnal schisms the old man enjoys the functions and of politics and political plays jockeying for position the old man likes to play on divisiveness but not so the new man look at Colossians 3 let's read on from our text let's read our whole text verse 11 through 17 Again, you can hold your place in Mark. It'll be just a little bit. It says here where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long sufferings, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also 
do ye. This is the new church. He's describing here the new church of the new man. You say, I think you're jumping tracks here. He's been talking to the individual. Just read on. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also you are called. Finish the verse. Read it. I want to hear it. I barely heard that. Try again. In one body. And be ye thankful. He's speaking to the church here as a collective. The context here, he is speaking to the collective. He had said at the beginning, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Now the new revelation that God gave, the word of God translated into English has these and thousand ye's in it because those denote singular and plural. So he says, if ye then be risen with Christ, which is a plural word. So the ye is plural. So he is there establishing that he's speaking not just to the individual but also to the group if ye then be risen with Christ that was our first clue that he's talking to the whole church in this particular part of the passage notwithstanding the fact that he'd already addressed the church at Colossae but then whenever we get down to verse 15 and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also ye are called in one body and be ye thankful so Jesus Christ said that we were to all be of one mind We were to love one another and be of one mind and one accord, one heart. The power of God fell on Pentecost on a church that was of one heart and one mind. Now, he calls them in one body, and verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. That is the new revelation that we just studied yesterday. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord and whatsoever you do in word or deed do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Now here, the, the church, the new church is put forth here, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual psalms, based on the word of God. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, that new revelation, and this is the basis for all Christian unity. I remember a preacher from the hills of North Carolina preaching on unity, and he made the statement that unity, apart from the word of God, the commands of Christ, is socialism, and socialism milita- uh, militarized is communism and what we have going on in most of our churches today is socialism because we're basing our unity on people's ideas now didn't the bible just say aiden didn't the bible just say that the that we are to forbear one another and forgive one another didn't it just say that in verse 13 forbear one another and forgive one another if any man have a quarrel against another So if we're to forbear one another and forgive one another, what are you supposed to do if um, a man walks into your church, one of your brothers walks into the church, you've had fellowship with him before, but he's got in with the local gang and he shows up at church with BLM shirt and he's wearing that BLM shirt and all of a sudden he won't talk to you because you're white and he won't talk to his other friends that are white, he'll only talk to the black people and he starts to cause a schism in the body. Well, the word of God says forbear one another and forgive one another. So you're supposed to fold your hands, cross your knees like a lady, and sit there whimpering like a little cocker spaniel and saying, I forgive him, I forgive him. And then whenever they get out baseball bats and start smashing windows, you, I forgive him, I forbear him. Is that what that means? 
Now, you kind of probably got that I didn't mean that that's what that meant by some of the cynicism that crept into my voice and into the analogies that I was using. Some of the sarcasm that got in there, which is probably more fleshly than anything. Um, but in any case, Lord, have mercy on me and purge that from me and help me to only speak as you would have me speak. Um, and the Bible, in the Bible, many of the preachers did use sarcasm and cynicism. God uses it in certain places. It's not always wrong. But in any case, the Bible here gives us things. The Bible has to be the rule. The Bible has to be the basis for which we have unity. The church of the new man has a new revelation. The church of the new man, the son of God, Jesus Christ, the righteous, born again Christians must be functioning based on and founded on and and fettered by the word of God. If we're not based on the word of God, you cannot call it a true biblical church. It might be a social gathering, but it's not a church. As soon as you depart from the word of God, you lose the, the ability to call yourself a church. Now, can people get together and it not be a church? Up here in our area, there's a place called the Older Iron Club. And there's a lot of people that gather together with antique steam engines and all kinds of other stuff like that. And they like to get their old antique um, iron together and everybody look at it and talk about it. Is that a church? Why isn't that a church? Why isn't it a church? Are they exalting Christ? Is Christ the head? Is Christ followed? Is Christ emulated? Is are Christ's commands the central part of what they're doing? No. Now they don't pretend to be a church. They're just gathering there, and there's some good Christian people that go there, and they're just gathering there to enjoy older iron. They're not pretending to be a church. But today we have a very difficult problem in the world, and that is that we have thousands and thousands of so-called churches who are gathering in the name of Christ, but Christ is not the head. They don't follow Christ's commands. Christ is not exalted, and the Word of God does not dwell in them richly, and they do not sing sing. psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in their hearts to the lord as the bible says excuse me what makes a church a church let's go to first corinthians i told you it's going to take a little while to get back to mark i jumped the gun i'm sorry first corinthians chapter three First Corinthians chapter three, we've been talking about the reality of spirituality throughout this mini series, the reality of spirituality, that spirituality is reality, that spirit is truth, that spirit is life, that, that you cannot separate it from those things. Otherwise you become a mystic that the words that I speak unto you said, Jesus, they are spirit and they are life. Now here in first Corinthians two, Paul had spoken to the Corinthian church and he said, which things also we speak, 
not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Look at it. 1 Corinthians 2.14. For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, these spiritual things, just take about one minute or two minutes here on these spiritual things. These spiritual things are still spoken of in words that can be understood logically. But these words must not only be understood logically, there must be spiritual discernment given to them or there will be no life in them. The natural man receiveth not the things of God, for they are foolishness to him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. So what this is speaking of is not a mystical spirituality, and this is the quantum leap that modern theologians and scholars have taken where they have divorced their spirituality from the literal physical copy of the word of God, and now whatever they say is spiritual is spiritual, and they can go off on these mystical Um, tangents just going off in every direction and they're not anchored to the word of God they're not held to the word of God they're not accountable to the word of God instead but that is false and a false way to approach the Bible he says which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth but which the Holy Ghost teacheth but and you could insert there not in a manner of correcting the Bible but by direct inference this literally means but the words which the Holy Ghost teacheth not in words which man's wisdom teacheth but which the Holy Ghost teacheth the Holy Ghost teaches through words how about that The words that you're looking at, the Holy Ghost teaches. I hope you're looking at the words. Pay attention today. The words that you are learning, the words that make this Bible time of any use whatsoever, the Holy Ghost must teach. But these are literal words. You can look down at that page and see literal words. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. So what happens is the natural man reads the literal words that the Holy Ghost teacheth in the Word of God, but because he cannot learn from the Holy Ghost, because he is a natural man, These words are foolishness to him. He cannot discern them. And he comes up with all kinds of logical or illogical heresies in order to try and justify his position and lack of faith and lack of understanding and still feel smart. How would you feel if you spent eight years trying to get a doctorate in theological studies and you never understood anything in the Bible, you could logically grasp it, but it was always the closed book to you the whole time. 
And as you went through seminary, think about this, Tana. As you go through seminary and you're sitting there and you're sitting through the classes and the professor's teaching you and you're doing your doctoral thesis and you've done all these essays and all this work, but the book has been closed to you from day one and you have never been able to discern any spiritual truth in it. All you can see is a bunch of contradictions because without the spirit to give you discernment, you cannot perceive how God the Father and God the Son could possibly be one. But you've spent eight years of your life getting your doctorate. What are you going to do? Well, if you're a natural man, you don't care about the things of God anyway. You're morally and spiritually depraved. So lying and pretending like you're a saved person isn't a big deal to you. And the only thing that you really can do is to plow forward because you've invested the better part of your life in this. And your only hope of any, any financial gain or remuneration from your investment is to keep on being spiritual. So you're going to come up with a carnal spirituality. And that's what's happened in our land. That's what's happened in our day. Now, the new church here, he, he addresses them. Paul addresses the, the church in Corinth. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. He said, I couldn't even deal with you like spiritual people. I had to deal with you like babes. You're a bunch of babies is, the, is basically what he told this church. You're a bunch of carnal people. And what's the evidence of that carnality? He says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? Now here Paul gives us an apparent contradiction, a spiritually birthed church at Corinth being accused of being carnal, which is fleshly. And this brings the discussion of the old man and the new man into the discussion of church life. So here you have a church that's supposed to be a new church full of born again people who are new creatures in Christ living according to the new law, living a new walk by the power of the spirit of God so that they have an ability to understand the new revelation that Jesus Christ gave and yet they're walking as the old man and the church is functioning in carnality. So here you have a church that could be called the old church of Corinth. Even though it was a new church in date, even though it was a new church in time and space, it was an old church in its carnality. And we have today all around us old churches everywhere you go. Churches who are built upon carnal principles, churches whose doctrines and traditions are fashioned after carnal principles and carnal understanding, and because carnal people who could not discern the things of God, who thought that the things of God were foolish, came up with traditions and came up with doctrines to justify their carnality, and have now passed that on generation to generation, and we are flooded and covered with churches that are carnal, churches that are old in their nature churches that are not new in their nature now the new church of jesus christ exhibits jesus christ as head we studied that in colossians already we have that i believe in previous podcasts here on the on the web Christ's new church follows Christ's commands. We've studied this out. Christ's church emulates Christ and the life of Christ is shown. Christ's church follows Christ. Christ's church exalts Christ. 
Now you can say that Christ is your head and you follow Christ's commands. You can say that you emulate Christ. You can say that you follow Christ and you can say that you exalt Christ while in reality you are doing the exact opposite because if you are carnally trying to hold Christ as head, you will not have him as head. If you are carnally trying to follow the commands of Christ, you will be fulfilling the lusts of the flesh even as you claim to follow the commands of Christ. If you are carnally in the power of your old nature, emulating Christ, you will come up with some amazing traditions that you think follow Christ that do not follow Christ. And all of this goes back to that new man, the new revelation, the new birth, the new nature. All of that has to be in play and in power in your life and in your church in order for you to truly be operating as a new church. Now we can see an illustration of the new church in Acts chapter 1 and 2. But before we move on, let's talk a little bit more about the old church and we're going to go to Mark. Finally, you say. Finally, going to get to Mark. If I can find my place here. Mark chapter 12 and verse 18. Then come unto him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. The Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. What an amazing statement. Go quickly to Acts 23, and we'll look at these Sadducees a little bit more. They're going to come up again. You see, it's, it's an amazing thing that whenever you get a carnal church, it can survive every move of God unchanged. It's an amazing thing. Absolutely incredible. Once the flesh has built a church, once the flesh has built traditions, once the flesh has decided on doctrines, and sometimes through the animation of the evil spirits of this world, that fleshly carnal church can survive any move of God unchanged. A good church has a hard time lasting five years without changing its doctrine. A good Bible school, a good church, has a hard time making it 10 years and it might make it 20 rarely will it make it 40 and almost never will a good church make it 60 years without changing its doctrines and its positions and its traditions and its disciplines but once you get a carnal doctrine or a carnal tradition that thing holds on better than a dog tick you can't get rid of it. For some reason, it gets instilled, it gets burned in the minds and hearts of its followers, and you cannot hardly shake it, and it will survive till the Antichrist comes and Jesus Christ puts down all his enemies. Now here in Acts 23, we looked at how the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. Jesus Christ himself corrected them from Scripture in that passage in Mark. He said there in Mark 12, You do greatly err, not knowing the power of God, nor the Scriptures. If I remember right, I quoted that, so if I misquoted it, I'm sorry, you can check it out. Jesus said, You do greatly err, not ne neither knowing the power of God, nor the Scriptures. And then... In spite of that, they went on believing their false doctrine. Then Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead, and they continued to believe their false doctrine. In fact, they paid people to lie on Jesus because the reality of the spirituality of the Son of God flew in the face of their carnal doctrine. And they chose their carnal doctrine over the Son of God who had just risen from the dead. It's inconceivable unfathomable the depth of the pernicious 
ability of false doctrine to hold on to people's minds and of people that are unwilling to let go of their carnal doctrines and carnal traditions. So there it went through Jesus Christ raising from the dead, through Pentecost, through the preaching of the apostles, through the dead coming into Jerusalem and preaching when Christ died, through all of these things that happened, through the birth of the New Testament church, through the dissemination of the gospel throughout the known world. And here in Acts 23, guess what we're going to find out about these Sadducees? Acts 23 and verse 8. It says here, for the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit. But the Pharisees confirmed both. And what was happening? Look at it in verse 7. When he had so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. There was a great big roho, a great big fight, a great big disagreement between these two religious sects that both named the name of God, both had hope of some kind of eternal life, though I don't know what hope the Sadducees even claimed to have because they didn't believe in the basis of hope, the resurrection resurrection of the dead but nevertheless they were two religious groups two religious organizations and they were having a fallout fight over this disagreement over the resurrection and here these people had seen all the evidence they'd been taught by Jesus Christ and the 12 apostles of the lamb that there was a resurrection and yet they persisted in their arrogance and their carnality Now, all Christian religion will fall into one of the same camps that Christ dealt with, apart from the quickening power of the Holy Spirit. Now, as a family, we saw this. My family, we talked about this a few days ago. We're going to talk about some some more of that again, but I hope you'll pay attention and that God will help you to see this in a way that you'll never forget it. There were three basic religious or social political groups at the time of Christ. There were many subgroups like the scribes and the lawyers that would fall into one of these three basic groups. There were the Pharisees. These had They were conscientious, well-meaning, zealous about God and His Word, but they were going about to establish their own righteous, ignorant of the righteousness, the spiritual righteousness of God, and therefore not submitting to the righteousness of God and teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. These could be called legalists. These are the Judaizers of Galatians. These follow traditions and not Christ. The carnal man, the old man, follows traditions. A tradition doesn't have to have any basis in truth. It doesn't have to have any basis in fact. And it doesn't have to have any basis in the word of God. If you are a Pharisee, you go to church and you go through the motions of your church because it's what your parents did and what their parents did or it's what your flesh was drawn to. So you joined that church. But what you're going through has no basis in truth. It has no basis in fact. It has no basis in the word of God rightly divided. You've taken a few scriptures out of context and built a carnal religion and carnal doctrines and you will follow that tradition straight to hell and you won't listen to Jesus Christ himself when he corrects you about it. That's a Pharisee. What was the response of the Pharisees to Christ? They hated Christ. We're moving as fast as we can here. They hated Christ and they wanted him dead. What was the response of the Pharisees to the lost? They bound the lost with rules and what was the fruit of the Pharisees it was evil now you can see 
in the response to Christ and the response to the lost, you can see what a group will do. Whenever some a lost man says, what must I do to be saved? The Pharisees come and say, keep the Sabbath. The Pharisees come and say, come and take mass. The Pharisees say, go to confession. The Pharisees say, confirmation. The Pharisees say, baptism. The Pharisees say, traditions of men. The Pharisees say, communion. Come and do these works to be saved. Conscientious, well-meaning, zealous, but going about to establish their own righteousness apart from the spiritual righteousness of God. This is a carnal old man church. The second group that existed at the time of Christ was the Sadducees. The Pharisees were conscientious. The Sadducees were religious. They were scholarly. They were very educated. They were the elite, but they were unbelievers. And because of that, they were morally defunct. They maintained a church functions for the benefit of the ignorant masses that they ruled over with their intellect and their knowledge. They also made a pretty good money off of those ignorant masses. Now the Pharisees and it, the Pharisees, they were fairly conscientious, but the Sadducees, they knew too much to believe anything. They were too scholarly, too elite, too wise in their own eyes. Their natural man had probed into the depths of scripture and found nothing but contradictions, found nothing to hang their faith on, found nothing to believe in, and found foolishness. So they built a religious system in order to control the masses. They had their Bible schools in order to train up more Sadducees and it fed their their religious political system. These people are like the Nicolaitans of Revelation who rule over the laity with their knowledge. They follow scholars and not Jesus Christ. Whether the scholar is a believer or not, if the scholar came from their school, they will follow him and they will do what he said to do and they will preach what he preached just because he came from their school. Whether it is based in fact, whether it is based in truth, or whether it is based in the word of God or not. It does not matter to them whether or not it's based in the word of God because spiritually they are mystics. They have gone beyond the word of God. They don't look to the new revelation that Jesus Christ gave. They go to a new revelation that they themselves get from their own wild imaginations. And these groups will suck in people on every hand. They call. They will bring them in with new revelations as the Pope speaks ex cathedra as the very mouth of God and as a Sadducee denies everything that Jesus Christ is while at the same time claiming his authority through the name of Jesus Christ and on and on the list goes Joseph Smith and you could some of those that want to include the Muslims somehow in evangelicalism and the crazy stuff that's going on their Muhammad did not believe the word of God did not believe the Bible he had a mysticism instead of spirituality and he made up his own religion now these people follow scholars instead of the word of God. The response to Jesus Christ is abject hatred of Jesus Christ. You say, wait a second. The Pope loves Jesus Christ. The Pope usurps every role and right and function of Jesus Christ. He does not love Jesus Christ. He uses the name of Jesus Christ for political gain and control of the ignorant masses, but he does not love Christ. He denies Christ by everything that he does. 
everything that he says. His life is a constant contradiction of everything that is Christ-like. And here is a Sadducee embodied in the Pope. And there are many others like them. These bind the lost with knowledge. The response to the lost is to bind them with their knowledge. To rule over them with their scholarly understanding. The Council of the Trent. The Council of Nicaea. Church Fathers. This edict. This papal bull. This, that, and this, the other. And they go back through the annals of history. And they pull out all kinds of facts and figures. And they wow people with their knowledge. But they know not God. The third group that Jesus Christ dealt with when he came to earth were the Herodians. Now the Herodians were a political entity, but they were culturally willing to comply and cooperate with Christians for political advancement and social gain. They were morally debauched, idolaters, flatterers, and they were fake Christians. They would get involved in any church and every church if it would advance their social and political ends. If they felt like they had a shot at getting another vote, if they felt like they had a shot at getting a higher position in politics, they'll go to any church and they'll jump through any hoop. They'll take confession. They'll go through confirmation. They'll get baptized. They'll go down and pray a prayer at the altar with Billy Graham in front of tens of thousands of people. They'll do whatever it takes to get political power. And if that means going along and complying with Christians, they'll do it. Constantine was an embodiment of a Herodian. Simon in Acts was a Herodian. He wanted political power. He was a Herodian spiritually, not literally. He wanted political power. So he said, give me, he said, here's money. Give me this gift so that on whomsoever I lay hands, they may receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. These people followed their personal ambitions instead of Jesus Christ. And the response to Christ is an abject hatred of Jesus Christ. They will use the name of Jesus to carry forward their ends and their goals but when it comes to submitting to Christ when it comes to being obedient to Christ they hate Christ they will not follow Christ they say we would not that he should rule over us now the response to the lost is that they bind the lost to themselves with laws. These are humanists. These are socialists. These are communists. They take the word of God and they twist it to their ends. Whenever they're done with it, they become full-fledged communists and throw out the word of God. The humanist is a communist in disguise as a Christian. The socialist is a communist in disguise as a humanist. And the communist is a humanist socialist who's come out of the closet and is killing everybody and murdering everybody and stealing everything for his own ends and binding the masses to himself as servants and slaves to his own personal ambition the fruit is evil the fruit of the Pharisees the fruit of the Sadducees and the fruit of the Herodians was all evil now if you're looking for the perfect group and you want to find the oldest church and you're looking at groups and organizations and denominations you might as well just quit you miss the whole thing because because the church of Jesus Christ is not defined by a group. The church of Jesus Christ is defined by what we see in Colossians chapter 3. 
forbearing one another, forgiving one another, loving one another, lying not one to another, putting off fornication, putting off malice, putting off hatred, living as Christ lived with Jesus Christ as the head. By the way, there is no group, no organization that has carried the same name from the time of Christ to today that can claim that kind of Christianity, that new churchianity. No single group, but there are thousands and thousands of little people and little churches and little groups that have carried forward the banner of the cross from the time of Jesus Christ to today. And the first group was there in Acts chapter 1 and 2. You can turn there if you like. We're just going to blow through that because we are out of time, running out of time very quickly. Acts chapter 1, Jesus Christ sent the people back to Jerusalem and said, Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. He gave them a promise of power, and he gave them a work and a job to do, and they went back to Jerusalem. They were of one mind and one heart, one accord. But there they tried to carry on church, and they had a church meeting. The only business meeting that you'll ever find in the Word of God that I know of by an actual church that followed Christ. The other business meetings you'll find happened with the Sanhedrin, with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians, and that's the way it is in our modern churches too. Business meetings are, by and large, if not entirely, an expression of carnality. Now, here it says that they gathered together and they said men and brethren the scripture must needs have been fulfilled and they set about and they had a meeting and they cast lots and appointed a man to be the 12th apostle that the bible never again recognizes as the 12th apostle nowhere can i find it say the 12 apostles after judas dies until revelation where it says the 12 apostles of the lamb It says the 11 apostles, the 11 apostles, the 11 apostles until Paul comes on the scene and then it talks about the apostle Paul, the apostle Paul, the apostle Paul. Now you can differ with me on this, not a big deal, we'll move on. But the basic idea that I want to show you here is that you have a church operating in carnality and then in Acts chapter 2 there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance and all heard them speak in their own language wherein they were born in our own tongue wherein we were born they said we do hear them speak the wonderful works of God and the gospel went out in power and the church carried on and went forward the Bible says there that the church went on and fear came upon every soul and many signs and wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved now as the church went on and matured God clearly in the word of God gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the work of the ministry, for the perfecting of the saints, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come. And I forget how it goes from there trying to remember the text. Forgive me, but God appointed these positions in the church. A church that does not operate under the authority and positions of Christ is not operating under Christ. But we find a church, the new church, operated in new power. The new church operated in the outpouring 
outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The new church did not operate in the oldness of the letter. The new church did not operate in business meetings and common vote. The new church operated in prayer. The new church operated in fasting. The new church operated in power. The new church operated in giving. And the new church operated in evangelization. The new church, in the new church, there was neither Jew nor Greek. They had to get along. And when they didn't get along, there were schisms that had to be absolved. You can see that in Acts chapter 15, where they resolved such a schism, specifically about circumcision and uncircumcision. There were neither barbarians nor Scythians. They had to get along. And they had to get along based on the authority of the word of God. There were neither bond nor free. But Christ is all and in all. It says, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, holy and beloved. Now, these verses are twisted by our modern churches, modern churches. Lord, help me know what to do right here. I could name, I could just start naming them all, make everybody mad. Because you can't take it if I name your little group. Now, listen to me today. If you're part of a group, part of a camp, You're probably already not part of the new church, of the new revelation. Uh, We identify, did you know people identify by what they believe? People act like they join a church because they like the music, or they join a church because they like the people, or they feel welcome, but that has absolutely nothing to do with it. We identify with groups that we believe in like manner with. That's what we identify with, people that we believe Many people just seem to randomly pick a church by preference like a boy picking candy, but everybody picks by belief. If you don't go to church, you don't go to church because you don't believe in church, even though Jesus Christ died for the church. I don't even know where to go from here. I could go a couple directions, and I don't want to offend unnecessarily. Lord, help us today. All right, we're going to plow into this. And when I plow into this, I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I love you today. I love you in this room. I love you on the podcast. I love you enough. I'm going to tell you this, and I'm going to tell you as far as I can with love in my heart. I'm going to tell you as soft as I can. I'm going to tell you as straight as I can. And I'm going to name as many groups as I can here. So just hold on to your hat. I love you, but I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this in reality and in truth. I'm not going to pick on anybody more than anybody else if I can help it because all the groups are in trouble with God. All the camps. And there's camps within camps. I'm going to name some main groups, but there's some camps within camps. I want you guys to listen today. Why do we drive down the road and we pass five churches that have five different names full of people parking in their lots that don't even talk to each other down the street, don't even know each other, don't get along, can't fellowship. What's going on? They all say they're the church of Jesus Christ. They all say they're New Testament biblical churches. They can't all be, but they all say they are. Now, some of them say all of us are, and we're the smart ones that tolerate everybody else that isn't, so we're the ones that are most like Christ, but we'll put up with you that aren't. And other ones say, well, we're intolerant of all you that are different, and that makes us more Christ-like, and that proves that we're the one, and they all claim to be the one, and guess what? None are. None of these groups. Now, there are people within the groups that are saved, but as far as churches go... 
Some of these churches have no people that are in them that are saved, but we're going to go down here. We're going to start looking at them today. I can't even begin to cover all of them. I believe this is what the Lord has for us, and we're going to look at it real quick today. We're going to start with one of the most conscientious, well-meaning, zealous groups that I know of, one of the sweetest groups that you'll ever meet and run into uh, at your first inspection of that group, and that are the dearly beloved Mennonite Brethren. Mennonite brethren, they take their name from a man, Mino Simmons. And right there, they've already departed because they no longer exalt Christ as first they exalt a man. And they follow the doctrines and traditions of men and of their mothers and fathers. You say, that's just not true. And I, I love these people. By and large, this group is held to the authorized version of the Bible. They're one of my favorite groups. So if you wonder why I picked them first, it's because I love them. So one of my favorite groups of people. But what they have done over the years is they have codified their personal standards and convictions and disciplines and cut off other groups that do not follow their code of convictions, particularly with head coverings and dress. If you don't dress the way the average Mennonite church dresses, you cannot be a church member. If you are a Mennonite and you're listening, I love you, but that is carnal. It is carnal. And I say that with all the love in my heart. It's fleshly. It's focused on the flesh. It's focused on the old man. Your spirituality is wrapped up in a bunch of carnality, which makes it not spiritual at all, but rather carnal. And you cannot be dealt with as spiritual, but as babes, according to the Apostle Paul. There's strifes. There's envies. And within the Mennonite church, there's strifes and envies over what color dress, what color head covering, and etc. But so many wonderful Mennonite Christians are working so hard to carry the gospel to remote parts of the world and giving sacrificially and I love them but I challenge you if you're Mennonite ask the question am I part of the new church or the old church are we just a carnal church putting on a spiritual show those Pharisees would make you all ashamed they had the longest robes they had the biggest phylacteries the Amish are another group that I love I love a lot of their ideals I love their work ethic I love the way that they love children. I love the way that they try and keep their community strong. I love the way that they try to maintain disciplines in their churches, but they have codified a bunch of carnal rules and their carnal rules determine their fellowship. Therefore, they have become carnal. They have departed. I'm going to say this as gently as I can. I don't want to yell. I don't want to be hoarse. I want to be as soft as I can through this part. The Pentecostals, my grandmother was a Pentecostal and I love her dearly until the day she died. I love her more now than I ever have. I love the memory of her. I love the fact that she prayed my daddy right out of a devil's hell he was headed to. I love the fact that she had faith in God. But the Pentecostal movement has focused on the external manifestations of the spirit and they have placed so much emphasis on the external manifestations that they have cut off whole people groups they've cut themselves off from whole groups of people they will not fellowship with people who do not do what they do and then they enforce upon other people that they must do what they do and all of their speaking in tongues and a lot of their other standards the holiness people and others like this a lot of the old Wesleyan Methodists um, transferred over into holiness. The Nazarenes, the church of the Nazarenes, the old ones. 
Oh my word, you want to talk about some zealous, conscientious people who loved God and wanted to see souls saved and don't want anybody to go to hell. A lot of the Christian church people. But what you have done is you have taken carnal things and you have put the emphasis on the carnal instead of on Christ. And with the emphasis on the carnal, you have become carnal and you have cut yourselves off from the power of God. And now there are schisms and now there are divisions and Christian church people won't dare go to a free will Baptist, which I was about to get to next. And a free will Baptist won't dare go to a Pentecostal and they can't have fellowship and they can't break bread. And why? Because of their carnality. Because of their carnality, because of their rules, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. And they teach for doctrines the commandments of men. Tell me it's not so. Tell me it's not so. So Show me from Scripture clear doctrinal justification for the stands that you have taken and the positions that you have taken that have cut you off from the body of Jesus Christ. And I will change my view. I'm open to anybody that can show me from Scripture that your standards are biblically able to be enforced upon all of Christendom and I will bow to that I will yield to that and I will take on those standards so help me Jesus Christ but if you cannot show me from scripture that your standards are biblically enforceable by scripture if you cannot show me from scripture clear doctrinal evidence then I submit to you today that you have erred from the faith and you have become carnal and you have become pharisaical in your religion the ultimate response if you continue in the path that you are on will be a rejection and a hatred of Jesus Christ and this we have seen happen in the extreme fringes of every one of these groups including independent fundamental Baptists and other groups that I could forget now that would fall into this conscientious, well-meaning and zealous group of people who I love dearly and who I desperately want to see anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Oh, that I could see. Oh, that I could see a day whenever someone could walk down the street with the power of God on them and maybe they've got a head covering and they're walking next to someone that doesn't, but they're a brother and a sister in Christ and they're carrying the gospel to the heathen with the power of God on their life and there's no longer either bond or free barbarian or Scythian Jew or Greek circumcision or uncircumcision the extremes of these groups will fall into all kinds of hatred of Jesus Christ given enough time pharisaicalism always turns into a rejection of the free grace of Jesus Christ and a substitution of works for salvation and your children and your grandchildren and your great grandchildren may well be destined to an eternity in a lake of fire because you have placed affinity with a carnal group of people above the risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and because of that your works are becoming your religion and it isn't long before your children and your grandchildren will no longer be able to differentiate between the works that you cherished as special and important and the works that you think will save a man We have Sadducee groups today. And I love the people in these groups. 
I have pled with the people in these groups many times and I will continue to plead and I plead with you today. The Sadducees, the religious, scholarly, educated elite, but unbelievers. There are a lot of reformed, a lot of preterists, a lot of Catholics, a lot of Episcopals and Anglicans and Lutherans, a lot of the modern Methodists and a lot of the modern Charismatics fall into the group of the Sadducees. Religious, scholarly, educated elite, but unbelievers in the finished work of Christ. Maintaining church functions, not because in your heart you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, but because you really don't know what else to do. You're marching on with the church that you picked because it fits your beliefs because it doesn't believe anything at all. The doctrinal heresies in the Roman Catholic Church are beyond numbering. They, you cannot even hardly number them. Everything that they teach, everything that I have read the Catholic prayer book standing in a Catholic sacristy and it is full of blasphemies and heresies and their teachings. Everything that comes out of that church is either heretical or it is given to mask a heresy why do you stay in that church because you do not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that's why you believe in the church and Jesus Christ not Jesus Christ alone the Episcopals no longer believe anything the Lutherans no longer believe anything of value about grace the grace of God that teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly and holily in this present world and they've gone on into licentiousness and liberalism some of the Baptist churches have joined the Sadducee camp, and I'm afraid to say that many of many many of the different camps could be classified as Pharisees, Sadducees, and Herodians in the same church. The Herodians are the culturally willing to comply Christians, and these have dominated Catholicism and or have not called it Catholicism, although there are many Herodians mixed with the Catholic Church of all the groups that epitomize the Herodians today that are more dominated by the Herodians and hold on because I love you in Jesus Christ and I'm telling you the truth today of all the groups that have been dominated by culturally willing to comply fake Christians it is the Baptists and the assemblies of God who have been dominated by culturally willing Herodians who have wed their political goals to their Christianity inexorably inextricably they have wed their Christianity and their country and they are one and the same to them. And they have a cultural Christianity willing to go along and comply with whatever Christian organization or situation will fulfill their political and social goals. If I can get more leads for my insurance business, if I can get more people to come and buy my cars, if I can get more people to vote for me, I'll go down and I'll join the church and I'll be a member at the church. Another group that has done this, by and large today, Day is the Methodist denomination of today, the United Methodist Church. I love you in Jesus Christ. I'm not saying this against you. I'm calling on the people of these organizations to consider, are you part of the new church or are you part of the old church, the carnal church? The Methodist organizations, by and large, the Baptists have aligned themselves with Republicans and the Methodists have aligned themselves with Democrats, but both are wicked. Both groups are wicked in what they have done. Now, I'm not trying to get on a political rant. I'm not afraid to. I'm willing to, but that's not what we're trying to talk about today. Maybe tomorrow or the next day. I don't know. I'm not planning on it right now. But these groups have allied themselves with a political entity, and that's why you find over and over again that a bunch of the liberals today are Catholics. Why? 
A lot of your liberal right-wing people are Catholics. Why? They have aligned themselves with a religion that mimics their beliefs instead of aligning themselves with Christ and changing their beliefs and their doctrines and their traditions to be conformed into the image of Christ. In Colossians 3 says, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all, these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Charity is that Christ-like love one for another. Now, Christ-like love does not sit idly by while your brother slips to hell, where your while your sister slips into spiritual decay, and his children sit, her children sit on the brink of moral and spiritual destruction. True charity warns and loves and beseeches and entreats and shouts aloud in Zion, telling her people her sins. Read the word of God and see if it's not so. The word of God says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also you are called in one body and be ye thankful. There are not thousands of bodies of Christ. There is one body of Christ. I believe in the local church. I believe in the autonomy of the local church for those of you that are wondering. But there is one body of Christ, not many bodies. There are many members. And in the body of Christ, many of the members of the body of Christ are local churches and the very organisms, the very parts, the cells that make up those members and organs are local churches. There is one body of Christ in which we are called. There's not the Mennonite body of Christ and the Presbyterian body of Christ and the Baptist body of Christ and the Episcopal body of Christ and the Catholic body of Christ. That's not, it cannot be. It cannot be. There is one body of Christ. And if there's one body of Christ, which one is it? I submit to you today, none of the above. None of the above. And now you can all hate me, and now you can all shut me off, and now you can all say he's an idiot. That's fine. None of the above. Jesus Christ is head of his church, not denominational headquarters. No organization heads up Christ's church. And there are local bodies of Christ to this day scattered throughout the nation and around the world that are still part of the one body of Christ. Often with many differences one from another in non-essential things. But one thing is absolutely and absolutely undeniably true of the body of Christ. The new church they have put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Christ will see to it that if you are his church and of his church, he will take your church through whatever it takes until you put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, until you let Christ rule and reign in your church. He will bring pressures. He will bring events. He will bring things into your religious gathering until you either deny Christ and push him away for the last time and he removes the candlestick from your assembly or until you bow the knee to Jesus Christ as head of your church. Stop looking for the perfect group and look for the perfect Lord where are the true followers of Christ walking in the spirit and not fulfilling the lusts of the flesh the mark of the new church is Christ centeredness amen I know I've gone just a little long we're going to pray and be done I thank you for your time I ask you to forgive me for anything you've seen in me of the flesh and to look to Jesus Christ. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that this message would be received in the spirit that it was intended to be given in, Lord.
that it would be received in the spirit of meekness and charity, Father. And Lord God, that you would do a work in our hearts and that you would revive your church. In Jesus' name, send a revival. We pray, amen.